0: Please turn to Psalm 86, as we're moving through most chapters of this grand book of Psalms. And as some of your translations will say, there is a title on some of your translations, depending on whom you have. And so the theme or title of this psalm is A Prayer for Mercy with Meditation on the Excellencies of the Lord. No better thing to meditate on the excellencies of our Lord. Amen? And I will divide the psalm into five confessions. Each confession begins with an emphatic reference to the Lord. In other words, like any biblical prayer, David is not being me-centered. His prayer is not about the false deity of me, myself, and I. I know that as we are semper referenda. Always reforming. I remember when I was an Armenian, many of my prayers were me-centered. And then God just changes us as we semper reformanda. as we always reform. We start thinking more about him and Christ than we do of ourselves. And we also start thinking about other people, other Christians before ourselves. And that's the way David prayed. And so let us always, as we explain the text, let us always apply the text to our own lives that we may demonstrate them by faith. When David prays to the Lord, he uses language that expresses the sovereignty of God. That God is sovereign ruler and king over all matters. He's always on the throne and he's always in charge. One author said that God was David's quote-unquote sovereign pillow. Think about that. That if we truly believe in the sovereignty of God, that we can set our heads on the pillow at night and know that He's got everything taken care of while we sleep. The sovereign pillow that God provides us in His sovereignty. And the division of the Psalm will be as the following. In verses one through five is a prayer for mercy and confession for confidence. Verses six through seven is a prayer for mercy. Verses 8 through 10 is a hymn of confidence in the Lord. Verses 11 through 13 is anticipation of deliverance. And verses 14 through 17 will be a prayer for deliverance. Beginning with verse 1, verses 1 and 5. Bow down thy ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. And thou, my Lord, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Verse 5, For thou, Lord, art good, and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. In verse 1, he says, Bow down thine ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. Interestingly, that David starts off his prayer by asking the Lord how to bow down his knee to hear David. This bow is the Hebrew word natah, which means to stretch, to spread out, to extend, to turn, or to pitch towards. Uh, matter of fact, uh, on prayer night sometimes when when one or two of the ladies pray uh, that may have a softer voice than than the rest and, and certainly more than the men, I will actually bend my ear and cup it with my hand so that I can hear them pray with their soft, gentle voice. And I'll bend my ear towards that person because I want to hear what that person is saying because their prayer is very important to me. And oh, how much more our prayers are to God Almighty, that he would bend his ear towards us. And though God is a spirit, he does not have ears, but God incarnate does. Christ incarnate has ears as a man, is truly God, and he was truly man, the son of God. But he's praying to God here, the Father, that his ears metaphorically would be natah, bent towards him to hear my prayer O Lord. But because God is omniscient, this is important and David already knew this, it is not necessary for God to metaphorically cup his ears or bend his ears towards us. Because God knows everything already. He already knows what's on our mind and what's on our heart. He already knows what our prayer will be. And now this word where he says, I am poor, this word poor is the Hebrew word omni. Uh, which is an adjective describing himself as being afflicted, humble, lowly, needy, poor, or wretched. Lord, I am poor, I am wretched, I am needy. Let us remember that Christ did not atone for the sins of those that would thought that they were good enough. Christ did not die for the religious. Christ atoned for the sins of those who would say, I am wretched. I am humble, I am lowly, I am needy, I am a sinner. matter of fact, it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, And when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for those that thought they were good people. He didn't die for those that thought they were a good person. He died for the ungodly, the one that said, I am a wretched sinner, O Lord, save me continuing for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die oh and I love this but with exclusivity because this is for Christians only but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath through him For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, once an enemy of God, Once estranged from God, once lost, and now he saves us from God's wrath. Moving on to verse 2, by his love. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. This is interesting. Preserve my soul, I am holy. O thou, my Lord, save thy servant that trusteth in Thee. Wait a second here. In verse 1, David said that he was wretched. Now in verse 2, he says that he's holy. That is because David's holiness is God's holiness. David knows that and God knows that. I am holy because you are holy. In church, I know sometimes we pound it in the pulpit. We're sinners, we're wretched, we're this and that. But let us not forget that we're saints, ambassadors for Christ, sojourners, that we belong to his royal priesthood. We are his sheeple, his people, his sheep. That he died on the cross to save us and he made us holy. He made us righteous. He made us to have the goodness of God in him. He's saying, "O oh Lord, be gracious to me. Let that be our prayer. "O oh Lord, be gracious to us. Show me pity. God owes him or us nothing. And so he's asking for unmerited favor or grace. Moving on to verses 4 through 5. Rejoice the soul of thy servant for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art God and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. What a beautiful passage this is. A beautiful promise this is for God's people. As a covenantal church and a covenantal God, He has a special steadfast love for His elect and that we have a covenant with Him. We have a covenant with God through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says, God is good and ready to forgive and is plentiful in mercy to all that call upon Him. And the only ones that will call upon the Lord are those that God chooses to call upon Him. We call upon Him because He predestined us to do so. A passage known as the golden chain of redemption. The chain of redemption is right here in Romans 8. Of how this process works, beginning with God first as we respond by faith. Verse 26 of Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groans which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows that the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Right here, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, For he foreknew, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those whom he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorifies. The golden chain of redemption of how this process of salvation works all the way to glorification. God does not forgive or save all people indiscriminately. Christ's atonement is limited to only those who turn to him with prayers of repentance, also known as God's elect or Christ's bride. Chapter 3, paragraph 7 of our confession reads this. This covenant is revealed in the gospel. Because we are a covenantal church, we serve a covenantal God. This covenant is revealed in the gospel, first of all to Adam in the promise of salvation by the seed of the woman and afterwards by farther steps until the full discovery thereof was completed in the New Testament. And it is founded in that eternal covenant transaction that was between the Father and the Son about the redemption of the elects and is alone, and it is alone by the grace of this covenant that all the posterity of fallen Adam that ever were saved did obtain life and blessed immortality, man being now utterly incapable of acceptance with God upon those terms on which Adam stood in the state of his innancy. Close quote. Moving on to verses 6 through 7 is a prayer for mercy. Have you ever prayed for mercy? Of course we have. And we will again. Verse 6. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. There is a calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus that is salvific. There is a calling upon the name of the Lord that saves the day we were saved. And then after salvation, throughout our Christian lives, there was another calling upon the name of the Lord. That we would call upon the name of the Lord for help. That we would call upon the name of the Lord for deliverance from sin. That we would call upon the name of the Lord, in this case, from deliverance from thy enemy that was after David. We call upon the name of the Lord always for his assistance and help. And when we pray for help, we should never give up on the Lord. Is he will never leave you nor forsake you. But don't ever give up just because he has not yet answered your prayer the way that you thought that he should. Calvin said this, Listen, O Jehovah, to my prayer. From the earnest repetition of his former requests in this and the subsequent verse, it is evident that he was oppressed with no ordinary degree of grief and also agitated with extreme anxiety. From this example, we are taught that those who have engaged in prayer once allow themselves immediately to give over that exercise, provided God does not at once grant them their desire, betray the coldness and inconstancy of their hearts. Nor is this repetition of the same requests to be thought superfluous, for hereby the saints, by little and little, discharge their cares into the bosom of God, And this importunity is a sacrifice of a sweet savor before him, end of quote. Moving on to verses 8 and 10. We're moving fast through this psalm. Though we're reading every verse, I'm not doing an exposition of every verse. I'm kind of doing a high-altitude flyover of most of this chapter. I just don't think it's necessary to dwell in the scriptures too long in this particular chapter. But Verse 8. The hymn of confidence in the Lord. Among the gods there is none like unto thee. O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall, whom you shall have made, shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great, and dost wondrous things. Thou art God alone. This passage is saying, Lord, there is none like you. As the song says, there is none like you. No God of the surrounding nations or no God believed by any nations in this world uh, can be compared to the one true God of the scriptures. The one true living God. All other gods in this world are false gods. Dead things, dead men, dead saints, dead religion or lost angels. But the one true God of these scriptures foreknew that man's desire would be worship other gods. It is my desire to break that commandment and to worship other gods. That's my natural desire. But God has given me a new character, granted me repentance as well as the rest of us. Uh, let's read and remember two of those commandments, the first two of the Big Ten. Exodus chapter 20 beginning with verse 1 says, and God spake all these things, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Remember, God brought us out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt not have any gods before me. I'm guilty. And so are all of us. Moving on. Thou shalt not make, make unto thee any graven image. This is idolatry, the second commandment or any likeness of anything that is of heaven above, and that is in the earth beneath, and that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I am the Lord thy God, a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and shewing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. Regretfully, again, I've broken these two commandments, and so have we all. But unfortunately, we broke them all, all ten. Because it says in James chapter 2, 10, verse 10, James chapter 2, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in just one point, is guilty of all. And Therefore, the wrath of God abides upon all of us. You see, that's why we need the gospel. Because we've broken God's law. And that's what we're going to be judged by on Judgment Day, is God's law. I put things before God. I've worshipped things. I've bowed down, maybe not on my knees like I used to with one religion I once belonged to. But in my own imagination, I have bowed down before carving images in my own imagination. That is why we need his saving gospel of grace. The saving gospel of God's sovereign grace through Christ, through that vicarious, efficacious uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we can be saved by His gospel. That that is the power of God unto salvation. That through that vicarious death, burial, and resurrection. And by the way, Pastor Mike reminded me today that next week is Resurrection Day. And he'll be speaking on a message celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Which is important because if we do not have a risen Messiah, we will never rise from our graves. That's why that holiday is important. Because of the resurrection of Christ, his sheep, his people, his kids will rise from their grave too. So we've seen the law, just two of the Ten Commandments that we're all guilty of. We must see the reason why we need that gospel of what Christ accomplished on that cross for his blood-bought church. And church, let us never forget this. The Satan is the god of this world, the scripture says. Satan is a god. Little g. That's why I don't get too concerned. Well, I get concerned, but I don't get worried about what's happening with this world. It's falling apart just as God had planned. Satan is the God of this world. And that he has blinded the non-elect. That God has turned the reprobates away, it says in Romans 1. It says right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, speaking to Christians, we have this ministry because we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. Christians don't lose heart with what the media has to tell you. It's not a good message. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. All the people that I preach to, or you preach to, or share the gospel to in the streets, they're ignoring the message just because God has veiled, that it is veiled to those who are perishing. All those people that don't seem to hear the gospel or that ignore the gospel message or won't hear it is because God has ordained them to perish. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Satan, the God of this age, has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They're going to be blinded unless God shines his gospel upon them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves, your bond servants, for Jesus' sake. For it is, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. Thus saith the Word of God, the Apostle Paul, to the Church of Corinth, as well as this church right here. Moving on to verses 11 through 13 is anticipation for deliverance. Anticipation of deliverance. I anticipate being delivered from more things in my future, and I'm sure you will too. I hope you do. Verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise Thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify Thy name forevermore. For great is Thy mercy toward me, and Thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. In verse 11, he asked the Lord to teach or instruct him, to unite and totally set his heart upon God. There are so many distractions in the world, because Satan distracts. We've got to beg God to take those distractions away. In verse 12 and 13, David is determined to praise the Lord with all his being and to glorify his name forevermore. Soli Dea Gloria. To God be all the glory. And so we too ought to pray like David as a church. And the rest of this chapter describes the imminent peril that David is in. Many violent men have conspired to take his life. Next, in verses 14 through 7, is a prayer for deliverance. Oh, he delivers us from sin. He delivers us from addictions, from sins. But he also delivers us from enemies. In verse 14, he said, O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God of compassion and gracious." long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and strength. David was in imminent danger of God hating violent men, and so David asked God to intervene. Because God is full of compassion, long-suffering, loving, and merciful to his people. Amen? Verses 16 and 17. Oh, turn on to me. Now he's asking God, he asks him to lean his ear toward him, metaphorically, bend your ear, natah, listen to me, O Lord. Now he's saying, turn, turn on to me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save thy son of the son of thine handmaid. Shew me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, hast opened me and comforted me. David is asking God to show him and his enemies that God's favor is upon him. You see, if the enemy sees that God's favor is upon you, the enemy will most likely retreat. And that's what David was asking God to do. That was a war strategy in his prayer. David had physical enemies, but he also had a spiritual enemy going against him as well. David is asking God to show him his enemies, to show his enemies that God loves him, that God is with him, and that God is for him, so that the enemies would do a retreat, so that they would run like cowards and be defeated. Jesus warned Christians that we will have many enemies and that the world will hate us. And I'm at peace with that. Uh, there's knowing, knowing sometimes that we have enemies as Christians in our lives. But that's okay. As the Lord Jesus promised us that we would. And that's nothing to be ashamed of or nothing to fret. We should actually give thanks. And we should pray for our enemies as well. And of course, we should want to love Christ and to be faithful to him in spite of our enemies. But we should also want to love and be more faithful to Christ than even our own family members. I am closer to my brothers and sisters in Christ right here in this sanctuary than I am some of my own family members. I am closer to my brothers and sisters in Christ in this sanctuary than perhaps I even will be with some of my 13 grandchildren as they grow older. There's nothing better than the bonding relationship of a brother and sister that have been bought with the blood and purchased with the blood of Christ, that Christ has redeemed their sins on that cross, saved them from God's wrath, and that loves them into eternity through the lordship of Christ and his glorious gospel. I'm going to close with a quote by A.W. Tozer it was uh, by God's providence that I saw this online Is a person on Facebook had shared this uh, from A.W. Tozer happened to see this on their Facebook wall and by the way their family actually listens to these sermons from Ohio I'm not preaching to them but it's providential that I saw this on their Facebook wall from A.W. Tozer listen to this Christians I hope this is you especially after reading and teaching this entire psalm Psalm 86 I want to be more serious minded Christian more detached from this world more ready for heaven than I ever have been in my whole life I want an ear that is sharp to know the voice of the enemy whether it comes from religion, politics or philosophy I would rather stand and have everybody my enemy than to go along with the crowd to the destruction do you feel that way? close quote Tozer says do you feel that way I feel that way I don't care what people think anymore I don't care what the world thinks of this goofball they can hate me persecute me kill me for Christ's name's sake I don't care so when closing let us be persistent and passionate in our prayers as David was in Psalm 86 as, the, as well as the many other psalms that we've been going through Let us apply those to our lives daily. Father, thank you for another sermon that you have given us. This is your word. We thank you for Psalm 86. We thank you for your oracles, the oracles of God, that you speak to us through your word, your living, powerful word. We thank you, Father God, that you have chosen us, that you have saved us by the efficacious death, burial, atonement and resurrection of your lord jesus christ we thank you for that glorious gospel of salvation we thank you holy spirit for fertilizing our hearts for quickening our minds for granting us repentance we pray father son holy spirit that you would grow us in your grace and knowledge of the lord jesus christ as we now celebrate your holy communion Doing this in remembrance of you, of what Christ did on that cross for your church, for your elect. We pray that you would be magnified and glorified. In Christ's name, amen.